Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Best of Mea Culpa podcast. Now that the midterms are behind us and the deck is being reshuffled in Washington, we're taking a moment to pause for the Thanksgiving holiday and bring you a Best of Mea Culpa episode. I'd also like to thank the entire Mea Culpa community for listening to the show and becoming part of a movement that I believe in some small way helped to stave off the red wave and usher in a new era where Trump will eventually be in our rearview mirror. But as long as there is a democracy to protect from radicals, from lunatics, zealots, maggots, trumplicans, and the rest, Mea Culpa will be here to give you the news and the interviews like we do, straight and no chaser. Once again, thanks for listening, and without further ado, enjoy this insightful encore interview with Reed Galen, an independent political strategist and the co-founder of The Lincoln Project. Galen is a veteran public affairs and political analyst who has been involved in politics, in government and business at the very highest levels. Galen expertly advises companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, Texas, and Colorado. And before moving to the private sector, Reed served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Galen worked on both of President George W. Bush's campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. So let's go to our special post-midterm conversation with Reed Galen now. Okay, so Reed, it'll be a few days until the numbers come in, but the midterms were not exactly a red wave. Nor they were they weren't quite perfect for Democrats either, but certainly a big win for democracy. People showed up, Gen Zers showed up, people of color showed up. It was really fantastic. Now there were some important wins here, especially in Pennsylvania. But the real loser, in my opinion, is Trump. So big shit. He got Vance over the fret, you know, the finish line in Ohio, but he fell short in lots of other places. Is this a good sign that he's losing his grip on the party? Uh I don't know that that's what we should take from it. Um, I think you're right. It was a good night for democracy writ large because in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, uh, Democratic governors own those governor's mansions or won those governor's mansions, uh, which means that we should feel good that in 2024, um, responsible, pro-democracy grown-ups are in charge of the process. Um, Nevada is still too close to call as we record this. Arizona is the same. Um, and so, you know, and the, the candidates there are are pretty suspect. Um, I think in the House, right, it's going to be very close. It could be a three-seat margin. And I think what you saw, Michael, was that the people who lost were re Trumpy Republicans in marginal districts, right? They were too extreme for their districts. The ones that are going to go to Washington now will be more Trumpy. Uh, Mitch McConnell will have a more Trumpy Republican conference in the United States Senate, whether or not he's majority leader or minority leader. Um, and I think to answer your question and long-winded is I don't know that it has damaged his 
control of the party because here's what the donor class, the media, and the establishment set such as it is still after all these years, Michael, still doesn't understand is that they might have a lot of money, but he has the hearts and minds of individual primary voters in a lot of these places. He controls a lot of these party apparatus. And so it did it damage him? Sure. Um, has that ever bothered him before? Not necessarily. And as we've already seen, he's play, ready to lay blame on, on the people around him. Uh, he's ready to lay Did blame on McCarthy. Reed, yeah. he, he was putting blame on Melania as well, that everybody told him, for example, to back Mehmet Oz. And of course, you know, I said this on television um, this morning. The interesting thing is over the course of the four years that Donald was the president of the United States, during the time period leading up to him becoming the presidential nominee, uh, and then post his presidency. Have you ever heard Trump take blame, <laughs> acknowledge loss himself? No, certainly not. No, and you, because you've, you've he, been around it's a not in than his. I. Yep, it's not in his DNA. He refuses to take blame for anything. But please continue, because I'm curious in terms of your belief that he still is controlling the party. I mean, so, I mean, this is, this is the thing, is that, again, let's go back to the, mem- the people who, will, who are going to win, right? Let's say that Carrie Lake does beat Katie Hobbs in Arizona. She is, you know, Trump 1A. Um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, uh, you know, Jim Jordan, these people are in the tank. Uh, a lot of these local officials, right, they're in the tank. A lot of these legislatures in red states... They are more conservative. Uh, let me say this. They're more MAGA than they've ever been because they gerrymandered the hell out of everything, right? So a lot of the states that he counts on, you know, mostly the old Confederacy, places like Florida and Texas, um, Iowa, Kentucky, right? These are not, you know, West Virginia. These are not moderate states. These are not states controlled by, you know, quote unquote, old line Republicans. They are all more to the right or to the crazy than they've ever been. And so I think that we shouldn't overestimate the desire of Rupert Murdoch, Ken Griffin, Steve Schwartzman, all these billionaires and media moguls that really want Ron DeSantis, that the world, you know, is going to move on that Trump's as you know, Trump's never decided that he cares about that. And the one thing else, the one other thing I should say about Trump and the party is I feel like he's sort of Putin-esque about the GOP, which is, it seems to me that it might be a deal where it's like, if he can't have it, nobody can, right? And he's happy to wreck the thing because he doesn't care about it anyway. It was always just a means right. to an end. Right. Well, look, one of the things that we've heard, and we've heard it often from Trump's idiot scion, Eric, is the fact that there is no more Republican Party. Mm. It's now the party of Trump. Yep. Oh, sure, Eric, whatever you say, so long as your father was in power and people gave a shit because he was the guy that was bringing in substantial amounts of money to various different coffers for individuals running or looking for re-election or what have you. I think we've seen a tipping point. I really truly do in terms of the end of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. You know, I saw on television today, I think it was on CNN, uh, they did, there's a poll that's out there 
Now, again, you know me with my says who and polls, and I don't buy right. pretty much any of them. But Nor this is an inch right. But this is an interesting one because it polled Republicans and only Republicans. And it was post, of course, the Ron DeSantis victory. Now, Ron DeSantis, pursuant to the poll, is more favorable amongst Republicans than Donald Trump as a whole. That mm -hmm. if, in fact, the two of them went head-to-head -head in a primary today, DeSantis is now up by double digits, which I thought was extremely interesting. And why? Well, it's interesting, first and foremost, because we're already seeing Diaper Donald, right, with his fragile ego, figuring out some nasty things to call Ron DeSantis, some crazy shit to say about Ron DeSantis. The first thing he turns around and he says is that he has information which DeSantis's wife would not like. And to me, it was reminiscent of what he had Matt Gates do to me, which was a lie. And I'm pretty sure that Ron DeSantis is not going to kowtow to this bullshit the way, for example, Ted Cruz did. On top of that, he's already started coming out, whether on his bullshit social um, you know, website and um, to anybody in the media that's willing to take his statement. He already reported, for example, to the Wall Street Journal that it would be a mistake for Ron DeSantis to run for the White House in 2024. The guy's not feeling it right now. And I've been saying consistently, I don't believe that Trump is going to run in 2024. Now, might we have pushed him to do it because of all the litigation? This could be his only way out? Possibly, but not when you have, for example, the statistics showing that based upon his favorability, which is only about 30% of the Republican Party, which comes out to something like maybe 25%, 26% as a total, he can't win a general election. He well, just that's cannot. True. <clears throat> that's and so true. his fragile ego cannot allow him to be a two-time loser. So run with this for me in terms of your thoughts. Uh, so there's a couple things. One is to your point about surveys, right? Just always take them with a grain of salt. Um, they have been consistently wrong for now. What the last f four election cycles, right? 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022. So like yep. the polling business needs to get its act together. I think also there's a part of this, Michael, which is, I think that media companies are desperately afraid of not making the mistake they made with Trump. So I think they oversample Republicans, um, over you know oversample conserv you know self-identified conservatives which i think skews stuff. i have a little bit of a different view on that sure. i believe that the media the news stations are providing this misinformation this bullshit polls and so on in order to keep you glued to the television oh no doom and gloom right loss of democracy donald trump coming back trump's gonna lose you know whichever side that you want there is well, a news outlet promoting that well, look, I think that both of those things can exist in the same world, and I think you're right. Um, and so could Ron DeSantis beat Trump? He could. Um, but I think, the listen, the thing about these is 
that the can't you still got to run the campaign. You know, we're two years away from well, we're a year plus away from a, a, an Iowa caucus or New Hampshire primary, right? We're two years away from election day, twenty twenty four. Um, and you still got to go out and run the race. I think the issue that DeSantis has just as a candidate, not not about Trump or anything else, is is that he ran, he almost, he, remember, it was a very narrow race in 2018 to get elected. He ran against a retread this time around, Charlie Crist, who's been literally every flavor of politician you can have in Florida. Um, and in rather than making making the smart move for somebody who wants to run for national office, which was one of conciliation. Look what we've done here in Florida. It's like, look what we've done here in Florida. I'm going to take all this craziness and bring it to the rest of the country, which if anything, last night showed us it's really not what the country wants. And so he is, I think he believes he's got to be in that MAGA lane somewhere, or at least pick them up because he understands too, that they're the base of the party. Also, I think that, and you and my, you and I might have discussed this, is he did a DeSantis did a debate against Charlie Crist, um, again, a guy who's been around a long time and didn't comport himself that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, if there's one thing we know, it's that Trump, he, you know better than anybody. He he zeroes in on that weakness, right? And he'll Correct. he'll just pick at it and pick at it and pick at it and pick at it until you go crazy. DeSantis doesn't have that. He can try and mimic it. But what Trump has naturally, not only DeSantis, but all these other guys are just trying to make up as they go along. And so I think if it were one-on-one, could DeSantis beat him? It would, potentially. But if it's Trump, DeSantis, Pence, right now you start to striate that field, um, it gets harder for any one person to take him on. And so I, I think, Michael, from my perspective, it's his party and it's his ballgame until it's not. Um, and there, nobody would be happier than me to see me be wrong, right? I'd love the guy to disappear. Um, but I don't well, think that as, I don't think we're I'm likely sure, to see that. Right. And as I'm sure, you know, um, I've been pretty consistent in terms of my my views and where I think things are at. Right. Uh, I don't still think he announces that he's going to run. Uh, I also believe that DeSantis is no choir boy. Uh, Ron DeSantis is no Ted Cruz that's going to allow someone to make these, you know, these statements or these accusations and then come back from those nasty statements just to kiss this guy's fat ass. It's not, that's not who Ron DeSantis is. Ron DeSantis is a guy who likes to play in the mud too. So do I agree with you that, you know, it would be more difficult? Look, we already know that if Trump announces, Liz Cheney's going to announce Right. We also know Pence is going to announce. We also know that there's going to probably be another at least another half dozen, if not more people who are looking to run. And I don't believe Trump's popularity is big enough in order for him to pull off the primary. I really don't. And I think he's so wounded now with these dozen lawsuits that are constantly beating him over the head. Right. That I, I truly believe the Republicans turn around and say this. We've had enough. Every single day since you started has been fucking chaos to us. We lost the White House. We lost the House. Right? We, and we lost the Senate. All under your leadership. You really effectuated nothing 
while you were in office. And now you want a second chance. Why? Because, you know, you want to continue to promote your big lie because you want to get out of litigation. I think there's so many Republicans out there, including members of Congress, that today may be bullshitting and saying, you know, look, if Trump comes back, yeah, we would endorse him. That's if he's the nominee. But I believe that they want, as they wanted in 2016, they want somebody else. I think they want to regain control of their own party. Uh, Listen, I tend to agree with you on some of that. I think that we should also think about the people who wanted who wanted their the control back of the party in 2016, 2018, even 2020 are markedly different than the people that there are now. Um, there's just there's not enough of the normals in a lot of these places to quote unquote bring the party back. I think the other part too is you you just said it, which is they've always said I hate this guy, I want him to go away. They had their opportunity on in January and February of 2021 to ensure that he could never run for public office again. They made sure that he could be excised and ostracized from American political life by saying, enough is enough. We will not participate with someone like this. Mitch McConnell, you know, what did he, what does he do? He could have, he, Michael, he could have found the 17 votes in his conference to convict Donald Trump in his second impeachment and make sure the man could never run for office again. He didn't do it. He voted against convicting him and then came right out and said he is responsible. Right? So he none of them have shown in my mind to this point the intestinal, intestinal fortitude or the the balls frankly to to stand up to the guy. And until one of them does, you know, and doesn't end up, you know, skewered like like Cheney or Kinzinger or the other eight members of Congress who voted right. to impeach him. I'm just not buying it. I want it to be right as much as you do. I want it to be true as much as you do. I just these people have shown no spine. It is a it is a party of Trump and a bunch of invertebrates. Yeah. Well, listen, I I won't argue with you about that, but I do believe that Ron DeSantis is coming out swinging. He's not going to sit back, and there's so many others that will finally just take the shot. That's my that's my opinion, one way or the other. But let me move on and ask you this, then, Reed. How much of a factor was Biden in this term? Because some pundits are saying that he's going to end up being one of the most successful modern presidents. But did he help or did he hinder the Democrats that were running? Um, I think he helped um, because I think that, you know, for you know, for a fact, when a president doesn't help um, because nobody wants him around. And that's how it felt at the beginning of the year. Right. Remember, Stacey Abrams, who just lost a second race in Georgia, famously, when he came down to celebrate the, I think it was the signing, it was either a Martin Luther King event uh, or the signing of the Voting Rights Act, you know, very pointedly chose not to be on the stage with him that day. Um, I think that, you know, he has probably raised a lot of money. He has probably been out in the places they needed him to be. He's probably stayed away from the places that they asked him not to come. Um, and, you know, the the stuff about, you know, being a grown-up, being a you know, being normal, all things considered, I think has been helpful. And I think his commitment repeatedly to understanding that democracy was on the line, saying it in a major speech in September and then saying it again this past week, um, I think was important as a unifying measure because I don't know that there was a person or a message that could unify like that because democracy allowed him 
and you know democratic candidates to unify a whole bunch of personal mm-hmm. liberty issues under one umbrella that people could understand yeah well look i mean there's so many and, he, and he's had a lot of and he's had a lot of legislative wins yes and he's had a lot of other successes as well like the you know the extrication from afghanistan from dealing with covid you know yeah we're now dealing with this flu-like COVID symptom that's some new variant or strain and so on. But for the most part, are you seeing the death meter anymore at the bottom of your television screen? Right? I mean, could you imagine under Trump how many more dead Americans, how many more Americans will not be at the dinner table enjoying family occasions, weddings, right, birthdays, anniversaries, etc.? This is a win. On top of that, he also was extremely active with the COVID relief package in terms of getting, getting that and Ukraine, um, in terms of ensuring that Ukraine has a fighting chance against Russia, which, of course... The Russians are on the run. Yes, They're literally on the run. Which is, of course, all about the preservation of the idea of democracy. So, yeah, Biden has right. some real wins. But I do have to tell you, I hear this from friends of mine who are really um, left-leaning Democrats and so on. Sure. I hear it from moderate Democrats and also from, you know, Democrats that are almost like Republicans. I hear it from all Mm -hmm. three sides. I hope Joe doesn't run. I think he's a really super good guy. I think he's an empathetic guy. I think he's doing good things for the country. But then they look at him and they say, He's just too old. And, you know, they start talking about certain things that he says or he doesn't say. Some missteps in words, as if we all don't have missteps in words regardless of age. And then they just say, I hope he doesn't run. We need new blood. Every election should not be the octogenarian white male (laughs) running. We need more of like a Zelensky. And I also believe that that's going to help DeSantis in terms of people's decision. He's young. He's healthy. He's not obese. You know, he's not sitting there making up words as well, you know, um, or trying to overthrow the government. Um, Well, look, I think that I've said this before is if Trump gets in, I think Biden will run again. Uh, Because as I, I... I really believe this. One, he'll say, I'm the only one who has beaten him, and I'm the only one who can beat him. And I'm not sure I disagree with him, even all of the things you've said, except it. Secondly, when you're the President of the United States, um, you've just had a much better, again, not perfect by any means, but much better midterm election night than anybody thought you would. Going to be tough for people to tell you it's time to go. And lastly, once you sit in that chair behind the Resolute desk and you're President of the United States, the only person, literally the only person on the planet who can tell you what to do is your wife. Well, not in, not in the <laughs> right? case with Trump. But I, I do. Not in the case with Trump, but with, with most no, people. If it becomes, if it looks like it's going to go another Trump-Biden too, I may seriously, I'm not bullshitting you. I may seriously throw my hat into the ring because I want to be on that debate stage when Donald starts his bullshit. There is nobody on this planet that knows how to make him cower that knows how to put him on the ground verbally as I do. And 
I'm not interested in watching Biden be the good guy while sitting at a debate that this other fucking asshole is lying about every single thing, making shit up, making, you know, more nonsense and going after more people. Um, I'm, I'm not interested. In that. I seriously may throw my, my name into it because I am dying to have, to have a debate that he's sitting on that stage. I, I'm just dying for it. The, the guy, after four years of being the president, after having all of those briefings and being at the helm of this country, he still doesn't understand shit. He knows nothing. Well, it, but he doesn't care, right? So he, he understands nothing. He knows nothing. But he's not burdened by the, the, the emotion of empathy or sympathy. No, he's um, not. But what he is so, burdened by is someone beating him at his own game, right? Being the bully in the playground, which is where he thinks he owns. Yeah. And Joe is not, Joe is not capable of doing that. No, but Joe, I think, but remember, go back two years, Biden successfully fended that off because, and, and he did almost the one thing that you have to do to a bully, you know, who's not physically going to attack you, which Trump looked like he wanted to do, which was he didn't, he did, he didn't take the bait. Right. He didn't take the bait and Trump ramped it up and ramped it up and ramped it up and ramped it up to try and get him. And eventually Biden said, would you shut up, man? Right. And that became the, the thing. And then, of course, the second debate didn't happen because Trump had covid and, you know, and they're in it. And so and look, here's the other thing, too, Michael. Let me just say this is if there's one thing we've learned is that none of us know anything about what's going to happen. Things happen so often. Right. So fast. You know, they, they, you know, you talk about these black swan events like we live in a pond of black swans now. Mm -hmm. Right. The white swan. The white swan is the one that like you're like, hey, look at that. That's the anomaly. Normalcy is the anomaly right now. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, Biden will be the oldest person to serve and to run for president if he does it. Um, but I think that there's a level of constancy, consistency, decency. Uh, that he brings, even if he's not everybody's. Remember, he wasn't he wasn't the majority choice in 2020 either, right? He was the consensus choice when the party had to make a decision about whether or not it was going to go with Bernie Sanders or someone they thought could win, and they they roundly said Joe Biden's the th guy we thought we could win that could win. That was an, yes, but I that was that in it, order to offset the chaos that Trump had brought. The American people, I believe, for the most part have forgotten just how chaotic Trump was every single day. Yeah, you'll remember, you know, the COVID. You'll remember his conversation I know, but in that's Helsinki. why guys like us But exist. the problem is every single day of his presidency, there was a lie told, at least one, if not more. Every single day started at 5.36 a.m. with some wackadoodle tweet that created a new right. cycle and chaos. So people were anxious. We all had that Trump derangement syndrome, Trump fatigue. And that's where Joe came in. Right. But after four years of taking a breather and now the economy and, you know, taking a look at gas prices and, you know, um, half a dozen other metrics, I think people may not be as kind to Joe this time. And the problem is... We can't take that chance. If we don't have a Democrat in the White House and we have Trump, 
or a Trump 2.0, we have real serious problems in the future of this country. Well, we do. I mean, remember, a couple of things to remember. One is that the last time someone was elected president in non-consecutive terms was, I think, over 100 years ago, maybe even 150 years ago. Uh, secondly, remember that Trump is only the third president in 50 years to not be reelected, mm -hmm. right? Presidents tend to get reelected. Reagan, Clinton, Bush, Obama, right? The exceptions are the ones who don't get reelected. I mean, obviously, Johnson chose not to run for what would have been sort of a second and a half term. Um, but, you know, and, and obviously Kennedy didn't get the chance. But for the most part, you know, presidents that run for reelection win. Um, but you're right. Like, I, we can't take a chance. I don't know who the Democrats, here's the other part too, is that I don't know who the Democrats as a party it would be an ugly primary process. Um, it would be a significant and ugly tug of war between the progressive wing and this, let's call it the Biden wing, because Biden's not a progressive, no matter what anybody says about him. Um, and, you know, it, they, they, I, I don't know what that outcome would be, right? Because I don't know that what happened with Biden in March of 20, February of 20 ever happens again, because you saw what happened with the Republicans in 2015, 2016. They wouldn't make that choice. None of the Republicans would make that choice to make it a one-on-one -on -one race against Trump when they could have beaten right. Um, And I'm not sure the Democrats, I, I, there, there's a lot of young, hungry, and old, hungry Democrats who I'm not sure would, would make the choice for, you'd like to believe they would. I shouldn't say that. I don't know that you get a, a flash in the pan or a, strike, a lightning strike like that again. Right. Just to give you a little bit of a background his, from history, only one president in U.S. history served non-conservative um, terms, and it was um, Grover Cleveland. He was our 22nd right. and our 24th president during you know, the Civil War and so on. So um, I highly doubt that I, – I hope to God that it's not going to be our second right time in U.S. history, right. especially you know, not with this animal. So let me then move on and say this to you. Kevin McCarthy just might end mm -hmm. up, you know, well, actually, he just might not become Speaker of the House after all, despite all of his, you know, comments and, you know, chest bumping and blowing up and right. so on. Because Trump said yesterday he'd support McCarthy. But let's just say all the stars line up for him. He'll still have the Freedom Caucus to contend with. So maybe, you know, I would say he has to be careful what he's wishing for. He's made a deal with the devil here, um, which is if let's say this. I mean, if if what it looks like right now, as we're recording this, Republicans lead in 219 uh, House races, Democrats lead in 216. I don't know the last time the margin that was that close, but that's the razor's edge. Um, McCarthy has no room for error, and that means he has, to your point, a nearly uncontrollable conference. They might let him be speaker. They will let him be speaker, right? Um, but as I think there was one of the guys, uh, Schweikert, or Schweitzer, whatever his name was, got caught on camera a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago saying, um, yeah, it's a, it's a ceremonial position. It's a fundraising position. All the power will be in the committee chairs. Um, 
you know, so, you know, there's news, you know, so Jim Jordan's head of oversight, Marjorie Taylor Greene is vice chair of oversight, right? These people now imbued with incredible uh, investigative and, uh, you know, authorities. And so he is like, uh, you know, a broken old nag, right? Headed for the glue factory with a bit in his mouth and a saddle on his back. And they'll ride him right to the glue factory until they're done with him. And remember too, that, you know, Trump endorsed you today, could unendorse you tomorrow. Um, hence, and, what's and going, so hence what's I, going on with DeSantis right now and all of the backhanded, nasty comments and the labeling of DeSantis by Trump. I think, I think DeSantis, DeSantis' win, I really do believe it. I think that's now putting a real question in the mind of Donald and the handful of morons that are floating around him that were working on potentially this 14th or 15th of November announcement of his running. But please read, continue. Well, let me say this, is that on the, on the people around him, I mean, I know a couple of the people who he's got around, you know, who they have brought in as senior people like Susie Wiles and Chris Lasavita. They are serious people. How long they last in that environment is, is anybody's guess. As you know, nobody lasts forever uh, unless you're family. Um, but the, the chances of them, let's say he does launch next week, the chances of them being there a year from now, maybe 50. And I was going to say the same thing. The chances that they will be there within three months is pretty much right. not going to happen. Why? Because he right. wants to run the campaign the way he wants to run it. He wants to say things that he wants to say. Nobody who's serious would work alongside Steve Miller. Who's still there? Right. No, nobody. And there's a handful of individuals that are still there, and not because they're good at what they do, despite the fact that, yes, Trump did win uh, in 2016, but rather because it's familiarity to Donald. You know, I remember right. once saying to him in 2016 when what's his name? Rancid Penis, um, Reince Priebus was Reince uh, Priebus. you know filling up the cabinet and so on. And other than Ivanka and Jared coming in and saying, hey, we want to be senior advisors. I sat down with Trump and I said to him, hey, boss, I really want you to think about something. Right. Reince is out there filling up the entire inner circle for you. But you don't know any of them. Not one. Right. What's going to happen when you look up from your desk and you're trying to find a face of familiarity, someone who you know will tell you the truth, somebody that will provide you with answers the way that you want the answers to be given? Mm -hmm. You're going to look up and see nothing but strangers. That's what's happening again now. So he's thinking about how do I bring back part of the old team? Well, I still got Steve Miller and I still got Dan Scavino and I still have Kellyanne Conway, maybe, right? And I still have, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy, right? Or Mark Meadows. I still have some of these guys lingering around. How do I use them to my benefit so that I could continue to be the strong guy? right? The, the strong man in the group. These people, if they're serious, will not do what he wants. And it's the same reason why sure. he cannot keep a decent lawyer as well. 
because he wants to run the litigation the same way he wants to run politics. And truth be told, Reed, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing with either. So, well, that's yeah. true. Well, and also Jared and Ivanka are back in the mix, and we know that Jared will brook no, I assume, you know, um, curtailing of his perceived or real authority. Ivanka's not going to let anybody get between her and her dad, right? So, like, I mean, it's just, it's just the you know, Mad Magazine Game of Thrones, you know, chapter three. Yeah, Reed, I don't think that either Ivanka or Jared end up taking senior advisor positions again financially. Jared right. got out of his time there with Donald exactly what he wanted. He got two and right. a half billion dollars. Mnuchin got two billion dollars from the Saudis. Ivanka's now going to turn around and say, I really have to spend more time with the children. They're getting of age. Right. We just moved down to Florida to our 50 plus million dollar mansion that you, the taxpayers, are paying for and so on and so forth. So they will stay out. However... I promise you that Jared will be out there doing everything that he can. He'll put someone in as a senior advisor just so that he could continue right. to maintain the same relationship with Mohammed bin Salman, but use that relationship in order to try to achieve something in government because he's a dirty motherfucker. But let me just move on well, and ask that. you this. What do you think? Is it the end of Mitch McConnell? Because he said that he'd retire if the Republicans didn't take back the Senate. You think he'll live up to that promise? Uh, well, we don't know yet because we don't know the answer. Um, I have a hard time believing that. Um, I just I don't think he has anything else to do. Um, I don't think he can imagine doing anything else. So, no, he's not going. Anywhere. You don't think he would just retire and take on some sort of a lobbying position or take on some sort of an advisory onto a board for some multinational company where he could get paid millions of dollars a year? You know, this is a whole nother issue, too. I have no problem with someone like Mitch McConnell joining an advisory board doing, for example, like what Hunter Biden did for Burisma. Everybody's like, oh, what the fuck does he know about oil and gas? You don't have to. Not everyone there right. is, you know, is an expert in oil exploration or, you know, gas drilling or what have you. They put no, people on look boards. At most, look at most Right. Look at most por corporate boards of directors. Those people have no relationship to the corporation or the industry they're, they're serving Correct. On. It's all about name recognition. And you know what? Good for Hunter right. for taking on that role. As long as he didn't go to his father and talk to him about doing things in order to change American policy. Because that would be, you know, mm -hmm. that would be lobbying. That would be acting as a foreign agent. And everybody... Right is so confused about that whole term. I mean, look at what just happened, for example, with Tom Barrick. Tom Barrick was being accused of doing what? Acting as a foreign, as a foreign agent. And he won. Right. He won. Here in New York, which is not Trump territory, but he won. And he won right. because he was right. He was not acting as a foreign agent. Okay, did he know Donald? Did people know that he knew Donald? Did he know? Did people know that he was the head of the presidential inaugural committee and that they have a relationship that they've known each other for years? They're not friends, but people knew that. And so they wanted the access to him. But this guy's been doing exactly what he did with the with the um uh the the Gulf Coast countries or the um 
the Emiratis right. or wherever he was getting money from. He's been doing this for like 35, 40 years. And this is the problem. It's these types of stupid cases that give Donald Trump additional power where he says, oh, it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. Now they're going after my friend, right? No, no. The problem is everybody is overzealous in all of this um, prosecution. The prosecutors tried to lean on Tom, right? The same way that they leaned on me, though they didn't have the ability because Tom's not married, so they didn't have the ability to threaten to indict his wife, so they went after that young boy who was his chief of staff. Tom didn't care, and he's got tons of money. I mean, he's, Tom's right. a very rich guy, so he said, fuck that. He brought on some great lawyers, and they fought it, and they won. And that's like what my book Revenge is all about. It's, like, it's this weaponization of the Justice Department. That shit has to stop. We don't need to charge Donald or anyone with every single thing that comes out there, right? especially the stuff that's not illegal, like the shit that I never tax evaded, as I talk about in my book. I've never tax evaded. Right. I never misrepresented shit to any bank, ever. I've never owed a dollar to any bank or any individual, ever. And I talk about it at length in Revenge. And I implore everybody listening, you got to get the book. You have to understand the true story of Michael Cohen. Because what it does is it sends a predicate for what the next authoritarian wannabe can do. And I promise you, read, people like yourself, you're on the enemies list because... You speak the truth. You speak truth to power. They don't want that. My book, Revenge, is the playbook that people need to read to understand what's coming at you and how to avoid it. But look, these are all the problems. And I, and I was happy to see that Tom ended up winning because now it needs to put prosecutors and others that are looking to take advantage of their badge to improve their own lives. Is it any different than Hunter Biden joining Burisma or, for example, Mitch McConnell joining a board? No, you're entitled to do that. Just do it openly. And I hope to God Mitch disappears. He's another one that I have no use for, you know, whatsoever. I really do. I hope that the guy lives up to his promise and gets the hell out of D.C. Well, you probably won't be lucky anytime yeah, soon. Unfortunately. So, look, let me ask you this then. Florida is apparently no longer a swing state. Was there anything that Correct. Democrats should have done that we didn't in Florida? And further, does DeSantis's victory over the entire state make him a shoo-in as a potential GOP nominee? Uh, let me answer the second question first. There's no such thing as a shoo-in in those contests. Um, if Trump decided not to run, there'd be another 12 or 13 guys running. So there's no such thing there. Um, what could Democrats have done differently? They would have had to understand what they were up against, not on Tuesday, but going back 25 or 30 years, which was a consistent plan by the Republican Party in Florida to register voters, control local offices, build a bench, do the kinds of things that smart Maybe not, you know, maybe maybe not people with scruples, but people who understand how power works to fundamentally change the nature of the electorate in Florida, and understand that they were that the Republican Party was up against 
you know, to call the Repu- the Democratic Party of Florida, you know, non-existent is is to insult ghosts. They they don't exist. Everything that happens on behalf of Democratic candidates down there happens either through super PACs or outside groups who are trying to do the work. This stuff, Michael, I think this is an important point. This stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Bad guys don't come to the fore just because they decide they want to. They come to the fore, as you know, because nobody tells them no. Uh, the Republicans have marched through Florida because they had a plan to do it, and they executed against that plan year in and year out, election in and election out. And the Democrats couldn't get their act together from a party local party perspective. Um, they thought, okay, well, there's a lot of Latinos, there's a lot of Jews, therefore, you know, we'll be okay. When they realize, like, you know, more than half of Florida is a southern state, yeah, right. Um, and, and that, you know, uh, there's a lot of Jews down there who associate with Israel. There's a lot of Cubans who have been conservative. Um, and so, you know, it's not an easy thing. And so when you're running against a party who can't or won't get its act together, you know, is it easy? Nothing's easy, but it's certainly more doable. And I think we saw, and here's the other part too. And then the Democrats put up a former Republican who's already been governor, who's already been a member of Congress and everything else. Um, you know, when they had a perfectly serviceable, uh, you know, nominee in Nikki Freed, uh, and they chose to go with uh, the old yeah, guy. Yeah, Charlie Chris, I, I agree with you. I was going to bring up the same point. They're just recirculating the same the same guys over and over again, thinking, you know, oh, he did it once, he could do it again. What they should have done is brought in some young person with a lot of personality, a lot of ideas, well-spoken, et cetera. And then even if that person lost to DeSantis, which they probably would have, you build the name recognition up for the next race. And especially if hypothetically yeah. DeSantis leaves because he's going to run, this would have opened up a, another opportunity. But not nah, too stupid. So look, let me ask you this then. Now that we're here, how can we combat the big lie? Is there any common ground to be found with Republicans as long as they are election deniers? And like 2,000 mules type disinformation. What do we do? Uh, not with those candidates. Absolutely not. There's no, there's no compromise with those people. They must be defeated yep. politically, electorally, and otherwise. Um, that, but I think the good news is, and one thing that we as, at the Lincoln Project have always seen, is that there are Republican voters who will come across the line um, to vote for a Democrat, an acceptable Democrat, I should right. say. Um, to to do the right thing. We saw that in 2020 um, when a lot of, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Republicans either voted for Joe Biden or left Donald Trump blank. I think we saw a lot of that again uh, on Tuesday um, in those places where it made a difference. And that's the thing, Michael. We don't need every Republican to leave the Republican Party and vote for a Democrat. In this time, we just need enough. And so I, I think that, you know, if I don't know how many candidates um, Republican candidates or let's say office holders, people in office are going to go against the big lie. They'll probably just try and ignore it. You saw that. Look, Mitch McConnell, let's let's bring McConnell and Trump together. McConnell and Trump would have done both of themselves a favor um, if the guy in New Hampshire, Boldick, right? He ran as an election denier after he got the nomination, realized that probably wasn't a, a popular deal in New Hampshire, tried to walk it back, pissed off the MAGAs and he lost. Uh, the guy O'Day in Colorado, right, ran as a normal Republican, was given Michael Bennett, you know, not a run for his money, but a pretty good race. Somebody asked him about Trump and he says, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Trump. I'm just trying to run my own race. 
And Trump says, that guy's not with America first. That guy's not MAGA. How many votes did that guy, did that cost O'Day? Probably enough to Mm -hmm. beat him. And so, you know, I think that, and remember too, that a lot of these states, you know, not to get too nerdy on you, Michael, but these are closed primaries, right? If you're not a, if you're not a registered Republican voter, you're not allowed to participate. Well, who participates in primary elections? The activist class, the true believers, the people who say, I want control of the party. I want to be, I want to be the one who decides who's going to go to office. And that's where, especially in a lot of these states that are gerrymandered, that's where the primary, that's where all the action is. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're going to see. Yeah. So let me then ask you this question, right? So Tim Ryan screamed during the entire mm-hmm. election cycle that the Democrats were not taking his race against J.D. Vance seriously and not giving him any money. And that panned out. So why didn't they back Ryan, especially since Vance is such a weak candidate? Um, I, I did not have any conversations about that. My guess is, is that they thought it's Ohio, right? And the difference, between, let me say this, the difference between Florida and Ohio up, up until Tuesday was a lot of Democrats still thought Florida was winnable. It was a swing state. They'd already written off Ohio as a red state. Um, was Vance a weak candidate? He was. Um, and he ran a poor campaign with hardly any money, and he still won by a pretty healthy margin. Do I think that if if the Democratic machine had brought in tens of millions of dollars, it would have made a difference? Maybe. Um, but, I, you know, and, and I think that, and let me say this, I think Ryan ran a great campaign, and he was the right person for that race. Um, but, you know, occasionally you run great races and you lose because the fundamentals are just against you. And I think that's what happened to Ryan. Could he have used an extra 50 or 60 million bucks? Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to armchair quarterback it. But I think that there were folks who like, you know, as far as Democrats are concerned, look, that's not a pickup I'm likely to get. It's not a pickup I need. If I've got Pennsylvania that I can win in, I've got to hold Nevada. I've got to hold Arizona. I've got to hold Georgia. Right. I've got these other targeted races. I think they made a value judgment that said Tim Ryan's a good guy. He's a good candidate running a good race. They're just not going to put money in there. It could, you know, and we can't we can't unring the bell. We can't prove the negative. Was there a chance that he could have won with the right support? Maybe. Um, I think the support, though, I think that Reed, I think the support goes well beyond just money. I mean, I think the Democrats, I think we as Democrats and I'll bring this up in our in my next question to you, but I think we as Democrats mm-hmm. aren't doing enough in order to constantly keep engaged Democrats in order to bring on new Democrats, meaning the Gen Zers. Um, I think the success that we had yesterday is not because of the DNC's messaging, because they don't have one. But I think it's really Republicans shooting themselves in the foot by basically being the dirtbags that they are, including with shit like Roe v. Wade, right, with the overturning of Dobbs uh, and the systematic removal of rights. So I think that that is one of the main reasons why the success I would then implore. Uh, Look, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's I think it's a brilliant deduction and observation and i think, I think you right. at lincoln and myself with with maya culpa and the midas brothers and you know so many and democracy now and so many others we have been out there pushing for the gen zers the younger generations to get out there and to ensure that they vote because it's democracy on the line and 
Look, let me just bring you to the next question because we're going to touch on this. So where then do great candidates like Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams go now? Right. They just live in the wrong state. I mean, I guess. Right. Because maybe one of them could take over, for example, for Jamie Harrison at the DNC. Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, they're messengers. They've shown it in terms of how they act. They they show it in terms of the message for their own campaigns. The problem, though, is that the DNC is lacking in messaging And we are so desperate to create a message. We need to do what Republicans have been doing year after year after year, even though their message is a lie. People are buying their bullshit and they're running with it. We need to get on the right message. We need to bring people in. And we're not going to get everybody based upon any message. But at least we can get enough to make a state like Florida which in my estimation should be at least purple, if not blue. Um, well, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the, the thing that I think a Stacey Abrams, you know, and, and, and losing candidates reflect, right? Um, some reflect on what went wrong, what they could have done differently, what they could have done better, and make a value judgment on whether or not they want to do it again. Um, I think that Stacey Abrams' great contribution to politics was, I mean, look, every candidate's going to make their own decision to run, was registering, what, something 90-some percent of African Americans in Georgia, right? Without that work, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock aren't sitting in the United States Senate, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Was her highest and best path to run for governor again. I I think she thought she got close in 18 so that she could do it again in 22. I always thought that that was going to be an uphill climb. I mean, it's Georgia, right? It's not New York. It's not Connecticut. Because again, um, Reed, we didn't invest a fucking penny over the last two plus years in Georgia promoting her, promoting the democratic ideology. There is no message for them to promote. And so just sticking somebody in there and then trying to throw money at it when it's too late. It's just a losing it's a losing battle. Well, and but I think you also, you know, there's there's ideology, there's message. You also have to understand the state you're in, right? Georgia is a purple state. Texas is not. Um, right. And and federal races like you know, Beto came very, very close to beating Ted Cruz for a variety of reasons, didn't get over the line. Um, you know, Cruz is a loathsome creature. Abbott is as well. Um, but there was just something in the mix down there that wasn't going to get Beto over the line. And, you know, but he also had, I think, registered like a couple of million new Texas voters, not only between people who already lived in Texas, but also people like from California or the Mountain West who had moved in. Right. Like those are the kinds of things that they can and should do because political influence and political power, as we've seen now with Trump and a lot of the people around him, does not necessarily derive from elective office. I mean, think about it. Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson have a heck of a lot of political sway in the conservative movement in this country. And they're not going anywhere near elective office. No, we don't, we right? don't know so, that but they have to make no, no, but we have, but they have to make that affirmative decision that that's the kind of job they want to do. Now, let's be clear: national party chairman is a is a rotten job. That's a rot. That's a tough job. Most of the time, you just got the White House telling you what to do, right? Like that's the job. 
And I think that in the 20, in, in now the third decade of the 21st century, you know, the DNC has to decide what it wants to be. Right. And, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a discussion that should be had. It should be a tough discussion. There's got to be a recommitment. I think, you know, from my perspective, again, I'm not a Democrat, I'm an independent, but there's got to be a, re- a recommitment or a commitment by the pro-democracy forces in this country to build out a ground game so that the people that you're talking about, those Gen Zers who came out maybe because of student debt forgiveness, maybe because of Dobbs, maybe some combination there, and maybe because you're right, the Republicans are a bunch of goons, that those people are going to come back to the pro-democracy side of the aisle time and again, not one election where it's like, yes, I got fired up this time because of X, Y, and Z, but I don't care about Democrats anymore and I care about Republicans. I'll stay home this time. It doesn't matter anyway. Right. Right. These things are very fungible. Right. And I think that Democrats got to get off the coasts. Right. They got to get out of the cities. They got to get into the suburbs and into the exurbs and into the rural areas. They got to get back into, uh, listen, very strong presence in the African-American churches. They got to get back into Latino church, Catholic churches and 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 into white churches. I totally agree. Let yeah. me just bring let me use the Latino vote as a um, uh, just a, a quick question here sure. on that, because. We lost the Obama coalition, and with it, as a direct result, Florida and Texas Latinos, they're gone. For whatever the reason may be, I don't know, but they're gone. What aren't the, what, what's, what's the Democratic Party not getting right about the Latino vote? Oh, well, I think we could do a whole hour on that. I, well, listen, I think there's a couple, there's a, there's a number of things. One is... You know, one of my best friends, um, his parents are from Mexico. Uh, He was born in Houston. And he said, you know, the problem you white people have is you think we're all the same. He said, you know, there's Mexicans, there's Cubans, there's Puerto Ricans, there's Hondurans, there's Guatemalans, there's Argentines, right? There's Panamanians, there's Salvadorans, right? And they all have their own cultures. They all have their own. I mean, Michael, our, our, one of our partner organizations, Mi Vecino, like go down to South Florida. There's like 26 different ethnicities and they all have their own idiomatic speech. Mm-hmm. They all have their own beliefs. They all have their own prejudices. Right. And so to lump them all and say, well, you're brown. Therefore, we're going to talk to you about immigration. Right. Um, seems a little short sighted. Um, I think that if you are a Venezuelan living in South Florida, you know, your view of the world is different by necessity than if you are of Mexican descent living across from Laredo in the Rio Grande Valley, right? Two different worlds. If you go to the Rio Grande Valley and you say defund the police, you know what you're saying to those people? You want to put half my family out of business. Mm -hmm. You want to put half my family out of work. How do you think that goes over, right? When you live on the, you know, the American side of the border for two or three generations, you are an American, right? Do you believe in unfettered immigration? You don't. And you live with it every day. That doesn't make you a bigot. That makes you someone who has to deal with the realities of migrants coming from thousands of miles to escape for their okay, lives. Okay, but read, read. Right? We know that there is no, there is no politician alive or dead or to be born that will be what every single person, every single group wants. Everybody has different wishes and wants. The, we'll call it the Southern White Christian Coalition. They want, you know, they want um, uh, abortion to be banned. Then you have, for example, the 
uh, the wealthy. They want tax breaks. They want, you know, X. Then you have, mm-hmm. you know, others who want student debt relief. Nobody is going to be the politician that answers every single one of your wishes and wants. All right? That just doesn't exist. So people are really becoming more, no. we'll call it single, you know, single or double issue voters. That's my, that's what I see. Right. What are we missing with yeah. the Latinos? Right? What are we missing with any group that we could bring in, create the message, and keep pouncing on that message. Yeah, you may not like my stance. I'm going to run for president. All right, Reed? All right. And they turn and they ask me, what's your mm-hmm. position on abortion? I'm, 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 a, a, you know, I'm all for choice. And I'm saying it right now. I'm all for choice. It should be the choice of the, the, choice of the woman. All right? Um, end of story. Now, there are going to be people that aren't going to like me. However, I also believe that our national debt is so high that we need to do something as a country to bring it down. Otherwise, we are burdening our future generations to a point that they can never have the life that any one of us have had, regardless of whether you're rich or you're poor. Right. It doesn't matter. If you're not rich today, you're going to be poorer tomorrow. If you're rich today, you're never going to be able to accomplish what your father or your grandfather accomplished. It's just not possible when you're under 36 to $38 trillion of debt. Now, I've said this before, and people sometimes say, hey, you know, it's not really the right thing to say. We have to figure out how to tap into the 360 billion barrels of oil that exist in this country. And we own the market. We don't need to kowtow to the Middle East. We don't need to ask Saudi Arabia to do shit for us. All right. In fact, we have so much oil, motherfuckers. Why don't you start sucking that shit and drinking it? Because you need to get it out of the ground. But in the same time, we don't need Russia to get rich off of oil. We could control our own destiny. And what we know is in X number of years, one decade, two decades, we're not even going to really rely on fossil fuel anymore. It'll all be it'll all be battery. It'll all be like Teslas and all of these other, you know, vehicles. We'll mm-hmm. use very little that we can't produce. And we need to bring business back. These are the things that we as Democrats need to start putting together so that we could bring these folks back because we need them. We we are legitimately the Democrats, the party of democracy. And I know people say, oh, come on, you know, both sides. It's not true. When you are an election denier, when you refuse to hold Trump and others accountable for an insurrection on our Capitol, when you want to turn around and tell a woman what she can and can't do with your body, next it's going to be Obergefell, they're going to do same-sex marriage is going to be gone, and then it'll be um, interracial marriage will be gone, and so on. And once you lose these rights, I say this all the time, once you lose these rights, you never get them back. But let me ask you this on the last one, because the hour goes by quick, and... This will be my last question to you, Reed, then I leave you alone. Sure. I believe that the people have spoken on issues like abortion, all right? California, Vermont, and Michigan, they voted to ensure- Kentucky. Kentucky. They voted to enshrine abortion rights and measures in several other states, you know, that are currently, you know, that are currently pending. But as predicted, Americans are by and large pro-abortion. So where do you predict that the fight goes now? And how do we use that fight in order to, again, bring in more Democrats to the party, to increase the movement that Lincoln Project does, that Maya Culpa does, that Midas does, and others? I think that, look, I mean, the, the Supreme Court has said that it's going to go to the states, right? So 
um, you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to elect candidates, uh, Democrats um, to places like the House and the Senate and state legislatures and governors um, who will enshrine individual liberties like that. It's not going to be the same in every state. It was never meant to be. Um, I think that it is a fight that will continue, but I think that Democrats have to understand the, the, and I say this broadly too, is you have to go to where people live in the context of the fight you're in, right? The fight for choice was a 40 year fight. They lost it at the Supreme court, right? It's going to be legal in, in a lot of States. It's going to be illegal in a lot of States and people are going to have to account for that. You're not going to get a national solution, a federal solution to this until and unless you get it done, you know, in Congress with a president who's willing to sign it. And right now, and for 40 years, they didn't have that, even when they had overwhelming majorities in the House and Senate and a Democratic yep. president. Never happened. Um, and so I think that it has to be part of a broader, I think, you're right, people say, oh, democracy, democracy, democracy. This is all about individual rights. I totally agree with you, which is how is it that I am able as an American to live the life I want to live as I see it, right, that doesn't bug other people? Because this is the thing about the the Trumpies and the MAGAs, right, is they want to live however they want to live, but Michael, they want to tell you how to live Correct. too. And so you've got to decide, you've got to decide, okay, as a Democrat, do I want to be smarter than people and tell them how I think they should live and make value judgments on whether or not they drive a gasoline car, an electric car, how they choose to do this, choose to do that, or say, I want you to be able to make the choice. If you're pro-life, like in your family, that's your choice, right? I'm not, but but you get to make that choice. Exactly. Right? Not the government. Uh, and that's the great hypocrisy of the Republican Party that's always existed. And the truth is, too, is that for the most part, you know, until it became something that they were saddled with, most Republican candidates didn't want to talk about abortion, right? They could rely on the social mm-hmm. conservatives, the pro-life movement to be with them because they weren't going to go with the Democrats, right? And they gave them just an, a sort of enough breadcrumbs to keep them coming. And then, oh, by the way, it caught up with them. And that's why you saw so many candidates, Republican candidates this year, scrubbing their websites yeah. when they realized how unpopular exactly. it was. Um, so do I think that that is a continuing a motivator. I think it is. Um, but you're going to have, but Democratic candidates are going to have to say, and they're going to have to say it in a way, Michael, you know, whereas I think the majority of Americans are pro choice. I, th- I agree with you. The majority of Americans are not pro third trimester abortion. They are not pro abortion on demand. Understood. Right. And, and Democrats have to be Democratic leaders and activists have to accept that as a, tr- as truth. Or at least, I don't know if it's a fact or truth, but as a belief, right. right? That a lot of their coalition, which is diverse, and the diversity should be its strength, is not more socially conservative than progressives, but is more culturally conservative. Which goes again. The average right. African-American family, the average Latino family, the average Asian family, right? Even maybe the average you know, Anglo family, they are more traditionally culturally conservative than someone who lives in Brooklyn in a bright blue district. And you've got to be okay mm-hmm. with that. And if you're not going to be okay with that, people are going to say, I'm with you this time because I don't like those other guys. But you're not giving them a positive reason to come right. out and decide that th- I want to be a Democrat. And that's, I think, a discussion that has and to be And that's all about the messaging that I talk about that is not coming out of the DNC as it needs to. So, Reed, you're the man. Thank you. 
Thanks, thanks to Lincoln Project. Keep doing what you're doing, right? We're making strides, you know? And so I, I certainly it. recommend, yep. you know, obviously, uh, take a look at the website for Lincoln Project. See all the great things that you guys are doing. Keep it up. Um, share this episode of Mea Culpa with all your friends. It's important. We got to keep building on this movement. And let's get together. Maybe we could sit down with uh, Jamie Harrison and try to show them, you know, some of the ways that Lincoln Project with their videos and their 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 other work uh, to make it successful and to ensure that, like I said, democracy prevails. Reed, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Always glad to be with be you. good, my friend. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh.